When you get married, no one tells you in pre-marriage counseling, so this is free, um, no one tells you, like in pre-marriage counseling, you talk about all sorts of things. You got your in-law relationships and you have, you have like how you deal with conflict. You have all sorts of like your finances, your budget, who does what, who's washing the dishes, who's mowing the lawn, but no one prepares you for the thermostat. Like you think you're going to get married and you're going to live happily ever after. Sure. You're going to like have some to work through some things, but no one tells you that you're going to get home from your honeymoon and there will be a battle that commences on that dial on the wall, right? You think everything's going to be great. And then you realize that your spouse wants to turn it into the surface of the sun and, and he wants to turn it into Antarctica and there will be little, little battles over that. You know, he'll buy extra shorts, she'll buy flannel sheets. It's just going to be this thing that happens, this little struggle over the thermostat. Well, in today's text, Jesus is going to grab the thermostat in the room and he's just going to just crank it up. He's going to make it nice and warm, um, warmer than it is in here, which is really warm in here. And, and as he turns up, he's been doing this for the past couple chapters, Remember, he gave us the story of the prodigal son, and then the next week, he said, we're going to talk about our attachment to money and possessions, and then the, and now this week, he's going to turn it up even more. But as we step into Luke chapter 17 again, we're going to see that, it, that Jesus really cares about the present, and he really cares about the future. And if we're going to be people who walk in the love of Jesus, we're going, to, we're going to need to take a minute and hear what Jesus is saying to us through this passage and then think about how it is we're supposed to order our lives. So grab a Bible, turn to Luke 17. We're going to start in verse 20. And as we get into our text this morning, Jesus is going to say some hard things. There's, they were hard when I first studied them. They're not any easier now that I've studied them. But in all of this, Jesus is inviting us to a deeper way of following him. And he's inviting us to see what's really true and to live our lives accordingly. And we're going to see that the kingdom of God has arrived in Jesus and is arriving in Jesus. And that to be in the kingdom then in the future, to be with Jesus forever, we must enter the kingdom now. So let's read Luke 17, 17, or sorry, 20 to uh, the end of the chapter. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one will say, see here or there, for you see the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he told the disciples, the days are coming when you will long to see one of the days of the son of man, but you won't see it. They will say to you, see there or see here. Don't follow or run after them for as lightning flashes from horizon to horizon, it lights up the sky. So the son of man will be in his day. But first it is necessary that he suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People went on eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. 
And the flood came and destroyed them all. It will be the same as it was in the days of Lot. People went on eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be like that on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a man on the housetop whose belongings are in the house must not come down to get them. Likewise, the man who is out in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two will be in one bed, one will be taken, and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding grain together, one will be taken, and the other left. Where, Lord? they asked him. And he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will be gathered. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask that you would help us by your spirit, help us to hear what you say, to let it change the way we live. And Lord, help us to have a vision that's more shaped by the Bible than anything else we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at what Jesus says about the present and future kingdom, we're going to start by saying the first thing that we need to do is to simply look to Jesus, to simply turn to Jesus. The Pharisees begin our passage with the question about the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is a phrase we use lots of times in the church. And uh, Jesus preached the, the good news of the kingdom of God. But when we say that, what do we actually mean? What does that mean? Well, the kingdom of God simply means life with God, life with God, under his gracious and kind rule. The kingdom of God is life with God under his gracious and kind rule. It's getting to live all of your life in relationship to the God who made you and loves you, to let your whole life be formed by his rule in your life. We just confess that we believe in Jesus Christ, the Son, our Lord. We want to live our whole lives shaped by God. And his rule is not an oppressive rule. His rule is not a harsh rule. His rule is not a cruel rule. His rule is a kind. He rules as a kind king who invites us into life with him. So when Jesus is Lord, when we enter the kingdom of God, we live differently because he is our God. So our passage kicks off with this question. And the Pharisees, they just ask a simple question. Hey, Jesus, when's the kingdom going to be here? And it's a question you might ask yourself. Hey, Jesus, when's the kingdom going to be here? You might hear Christians talk about, yeah, God reigns, and you look around and say, well, it doesn't feel like he's reigning right now. It doesn't seem like it. Maybe you've been a Christian for quite some time, and you even believe that Jesus reigns. You believe that Jesus is king, but you, if you're honest, you're like, I don't really know how that works. Because you see, my world is spinning out of control. In the world, it seems like it's spinning out of control. 
Well, the Pharisees are also wondering about the kingdom of God. And these guys are Jesus' biggest skeptics. They're always questioning Jesus and always missing Jesus. So, this is another one of those times. And Jesus gives an answer and he says, The kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one will say, see here or there. For you see, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Jesus' kingdom doesn't function like all the other kingdoms in the world. And the Pharisees, they had a specific way that they were expecting Jesus to come. You see, when the kingdom, when kingdoms came, like there was all sorts of ways people knew that kingdoms came. There were, there were, there were new taxes. There was, there was a new emperor. New flags went up the flagpole. New coins were used for trade. So there were just people knew when when kingdoms came. And so here Jesus comes and says, "Hey, the kingdom of God is at hand." And the Pharisees are like, "Well, where is the kingdom?" Because it seems like Caesar's still here, Rome's still here. Where is this kingdom? But Jesus says that the kingdom is not like those kingdoms. It's not like those kingdoms. The Pharisees wanted, had a specific way that they thought the king would come. And because of that, they missed who Jesus really was. The kingdom of God was right in front of them. If you look earlier in the passage, Jesus just healed 10 lepers as they were walking. He just healed them. He's done all sorts of things. He explained that he was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. He stood in a synagogue, opened a scroll of Isaiah, and said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And he said, hey, I'm fulfilling this right now. And those Pharisees, they just refused to see it because Jesus did not check off their boxes. He was hidden in plain sight. Ever miss something right in front of you? Something hides in plain sight? The phrase was actually used in um, battle. That's where it comes from. Uh, In the 1600s, people used to hide part of their armies, like just in an adjacent field, and people would miss it. And then Edgar Allan Poe um, wrote, kind of cemented this whole idea of hidden in plain sight with his um, work, The Purloined Letter, where the, the bunch of people were solving a crime, and the answer to it was right in front of them, hidden in plain sight. Get this. Psychologists back in 1999 uh, tested uh, this thing called inattentional blindness. So they did a test where people entered a study, and what they do is they had to watch people in white shirts and people in black shirts pass a basketball to each other, and they said, you need to count how many times someone in the white shirts and someone in the black shirts passes the ball. So they would like lock in on these people passing the ball. And then somebody would walk in in a gorilla costume, walk into the center of the screen, beat their chest, and walk out. And only half of the people saw the gorilla. Because they were so focused on one thing that they missed everything else. They missed the gorilla. Well, here the Pharisees are so focused on one thing that they missed everything else. They missed 
Jesus the Messiah, their deliverer, standing right in front of them. Jesus himself ushers in, brings in the kingdom. And if I'm honest about myself, if I'm honest about the world, we can sometimes do the same thing. We have these expectations for Jesus, for what his kingdom would look like. Or maybe you're skeptical of Jesus altogether and you want Jesus to check off certain boxes for you. And Jesus comes on his own terms. And you have to accept him on those terms. See, we can resist the kingdom of God too. We can say, Jesus, I expect you to to check off certain boxes for me. Jesus, why isn't this thing happening? And what Jesus is telling us this morning is that the kingdom of God has arrived and he has brought it. And sometimes we're just afraid to give up the areas of our lives to Jesus. We're afraid of how he's going to respond. We're afraid of him taking over. But let me ask you this. Based on everything we've seen in the Gospel of Luke, if you've been with us, we, we just saw Jesus, like I mentioned, heal ten lepers. And those ten lepers, they didn't have to do anything. They just cried out with a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on me. And what did Jesus do? He had pity on him. And that leper enters into the kingdom of God simply by acknowledging who Jesus is. Let me ask you something. If you could change one area of your life right now, what would that be? If you looked on the inside, maybe it's your marriage that's falling apart. Maybe it's a sin you're struggling with. Maybe it's loneliness. And I want to ask you, what would it look like if you said, Jesus, Master, have pity on me with those areas. I believe you're king. What would it look like for the kingdom of God to invade that space? What would it look like to enter, let the kingdom enter your life right now in that space? What would it look like to submit your marriage, to submit your sin, to submit your loneliness? What if you brought that to Jesus? Say, Jesus, your Lord, your King. Right now, I believe your kingdom's here and I want your kingdom to invade my life and rearrange everything. What would that look like? Jesus' kingdom is here. He's he's brought it. Jesus wants to prepare us for the future by inviting us in the present to enter that kingdom and to let it shape everything. If we want to be with Jesus then, in the future, we need to be with Jesus now. Well, Jesus shifts, and he shifts towards the future, and he wants us to prepare for the future because the kingdom of God It's not only present, but it's future, and we're called to soberly prepare for it. So, little theology for you. Uh, 
The kingdom of God has started in Jesus. When Jesus came, he, he announced the good news of the kingdom, but the kingdom has not fully arrived yet. So we, the kingdom starts now. We experience real life with God now. But in the future, when Jesus comes back, which we said in our creed, we will experience the fullness of the kingdom of God, the fullness of God's rule and reign over our lives. And that's what theologians call um, the already and the not yet. They got super creative with that. Um, but kingdom's already here, but it's not yet fully here. And so Jesus is, is now giving us a little bit of a theology there where like, hey, the kingdom of God has started. You can experience it, it, it right now, but it's going to come fully later. And that's why we need to prepare. And Jesus pivots and talks to his disciples. And we're going to see at least three things about his coming because we believe that Jesus is coming back to fully bring his kingdom and the first thing we see is that his kingdom will be obvious. His kingdom will be obvious. Jesus says that, that his kingdom is not going to, when, when he comes back, it's not going to be like this hidden affair that happens where you're going to have to um, like kind of guess, oh, is Jesus back? But no, he talks about lightning lighting up the sky. You, when, you, when lightning happens and you're standing outside, you see it. You know And friends, when Jesus comes back, we and everyone will know he is coming back. Jesus gives a little prediction of his own crucifixion and his own uh, death. This is the third time this has happened in Luke. And what he does in giving us this Stories. He also prepares his disciples and shapes their longings. Because he says, you'll, there'll be people who long to see the Son of Man. Because the world's not going to be great when Jesus comes back. It's not going to be awesome. And people will long to see him. And Jesus even says that his life on earth is marked with suffering before he experiences glory. And so his disciples are to, to remember this and take on a life that looks like Jesus said, hey, but when he comes back, everyone will know. And Jesus shapes his disciples' expectations for living in the world. As we prepare for the future, Jesus says that he's going that his kingdom his coming will be obvious, and that in the meantime, don't be surprised if there's suffering. Don't be surprised if there's suffering. The second thing we see is that he will come with judgment. Look at verse 26. It says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People went on eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. It will be the same as it was in the days of Lot. People went on eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be like that on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Jesus goes after longings and he goes after distracted hearts. He goes after distracted hearts. Jesus says when he returns, there are people, they're just going to be distracted 
and they list a bunch of things. They're going to be married, given in marriage. They're going to, they're going to plant. They're going to build. They're going to do stuff. All stuff that's okay, but they do it forgetting that God. And, and he says, listen, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be. As it was in the days of Lot, so it will be. When Jesus comes back, people are just going to be living their lives. They're going to forget God. They're going to ignore God. This shouldn't be surprising to any of us. In Noah and with Sodom, people just ignored God. They ignored warnings. They ignored what he says. They just kind of went about their lives. And then judgment came. And Jesus says when he comes back, that's, there's just going to be people who are ignoring that he's coming back. They've ignored Jesus. They've not walked into the kingdom. The kingdom's been there all along. He's told them, but they just ignored it. Now, in aside, because we live in America and we're shaped by media more than we're shaped by the Bible, this passage, for those of you who grew up in church, is not about the rapture. Okay? Some of you grew up in circles where um, you've seen terrible movies like A Thief in the Night, um, where people were raptured away and, um, like, They'll be outside with friends and someone's raptured and then their friend finds like a pile of clothes. Am I the only one that's seen these movies? Or like the left behind movies or things like that where like people just poof and then their clothes are on the ground. Um, This passage is not talking about that. Um, Even DC Talk wrote a song, I Wish We'd All Been Ready. I don't know if that was DC Talk, where it talks about two men walking up a hill. One turns around, the other is gone. This is not talking about the rapture. It's been used to talk about the rapture for like a hundred years in America, and it's not what it's saying. What it is saying is that there will be people who ignore Jesus. And what Jesus is saying is that if you forget him in the present, you'll be met with judgment in the future. That's what Jesus was saying. The, the people being taken away are people being judged in the passage. But friends, this is also a warning for us. I asked earlier about like where the kingdom needed to touch down in your life. Well, maybe if Jesus was standing right in front of you, where would he say the kingdom of God needs to touch down in your life? Because we all are tempted to live lives like the people in Noah's days and like the people in Sodom where we just kind of forget God. We go about our normal, like, good things. We're married. We're, we give our kids to marriage. We work. We plant things. We do all that stuff. But we can live life not under the lordship of Jesus. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants to do all of your life for him. He's worthy of it all. And so where are we distracted? Where do you need to let Jesus invade your life, your marriage, your eating, your drinking, your parenting? He's worthy. We sang it. Jesus have it all. But Jesus is also not getting after, not just getting after our distracted hearts, but he's also getting after our divided hearts. Jesus speaks that in times of suffering, there's a real desire to turn away. There's a real temptation to turn away. And what Jesus warns is not to turn back, to not find security in the things of this world, 
but to find security in his love. Because Jesus came with a message of grace and truth, inviting anyone into the kingdom of God. We've seen him invite tax collectors and sinners, but when he comes back, he comes back with judgment. And this judgment will affect everyone. Look at verses 34 and 35. I tell you, on that night, two will be in one bed. One will be taken, and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, and the other left. Again, not a passage about the rapture, but a passage about judgment. That when Jesus comes back, those who've placed their faith in him, those who've submitted to his lordship, who've recognized that Jesus is king, will be the ones that are saved. And those who don't will be judged. Now I know that I'm sitting in a school, standing in a school in 2024, and that any talk of judgment seems harsh and cruel and unkind. But I want us to like take a step back here and ask, first, I want to point out that Jesus just gives people what they ask for all along. Jesus offers the kingdom. He extends it. And we're called to be people who take the good news that, that life with God is available to everyone. To everyone. We see that sinners and prostitutes and peoples that seem far away from God have access into life with God. That, that Jesus welcomes all. That he's not, he doesn't discriminate. He's come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is the message of Jesus. But people don't come. Jesus offers, hey, I will take your sin upon yourself. I will give you what you're really looking for in life, which is a relationship with God and meaning and purpose in the world. I'll answer the questions of your deepest sufferings and I'll make them all right again. Just come to me. But some people say no. And God doesn't force people into the kingdom. So he's not cruel. The second thing is that we have a God who is endlessly loving. He created the world in love. In sin is anything that sets itself up against God. Against love. And as a parent, if there's something in your kid's life that's hurting him, what do you do? You remove that thing, right? Because it's the loving thing to do. And God in his infinite love refuses to let sin get the last word in our lives. He takes it upon himself and he will remove it from the world. The third thing is that we live in a world where we need a God who judges. We need a God who judges. Right? Talk to anyone who's been through intense trauma. Talk to anyone who's been through an intense amount of suffering and pain. Visit the poor in villages. I've been there. And they need a God who's, who's going to come make things right again. 
They need a God who's going to take all that's broken in the world, all that is messed up, and right the wrongs, live with, execute justice, promote life. They need that God to come rescue them. And some of you have experienced such deep pain. You need a God who's going to put things right in the world again. And we need that God. We need a God who's going to get rid of disease. We need a God who's going to get rid of sin. We need that God. Because when Jesus comes in judgment, He doesn't just come with judgment, but behind that judgment is a restoration of things to where they're supposed to be. Because that is our Jesus. And Jesus here is preparing us for the future by reminding us, that said, hey, The kingdom has started. You need to enter into this kingdom, but you need to soberly prepare for the future. And that means recognize that he is coming soon. Recognize that he will come with judgment. And recognize that he will come finally with finality. With finality. Verse 36 is one of the most confusing passages. There are volumes written on what verse 36 means. Like with talk where the vultures are, there or where the corpse is, there the vultures will be gathered. When I was talking to my pastor friends about this verse, we were talking about how we wish we could be in the room with the disciples when Jesus was saying this, when they're like tracking with them, tracking with them, and all of a sudden Peter looks at Andrew and is like, I don't know what he's saying anymore. Right? Because it's kind of a weird conclusion. But the general gist is, and I'll won't bore you all of the details surrounding this, is that when vultures come to a dead corpse, there's a finality to that, right? Whatever was dead was really dead. There's no going back. There's no question of what's happened. And so when Jesus comes again, when he brings judgment and when he brings restored creation with him, it will be final. There will be no second chances. There will be fullness. It will be brought in with fullness. So friends, what do we do when Jesus says heavy things, hard things? Well, I find it helpful to remember that in everything Jesus says, even the hard things, is an invitation for us. He's telling us what's true. And he's inviting you and me to come into the kingdom to remember that he has come. In just a little bit, we're going to take communion. And there's this old tradition, and some of you who've grown up in various church backgrounds may have said it before. There's this old tradition in the church that when when you take communion right, right before or right after you take it, you say that great is the mystery of the faith, that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. That when would the invitation from Jesus is to see that he has died, that he has risen, that the kingdom has started, and that he will come again. And the invitation for those of you who are Christians is to take the good news that life with God is available through Jesus to everyone you can. He's the good king. He is what? our hearts are longing for. For those of you who don't know Jesus, the invitation for you is to come to Jesus. 
Come find the life that is really life. Come home to the Father. Come know that He secures your future forever. Come let Jesus take all of the judgment that you deserve. Come find the life that is really life. Come rest. Come live under His reign. The place the kingdom of God touches down most clearly is in the church. Jesus rules over his church. It's here that we're supposed to live out what this kingdom life looks like. Where we love our neighbor. Where we love our enemies. Where we help the poor. Where we look after the downcast. Where we speak the truth and live with grace. Where we remember that Christ reigns. And each week, we remember that Jesus reigns, and we remember that he's called us together to share in this meal known as communion, where we remember that he has made way into the kingdom through what he's done, that we don't have to strive anymore, that all we got to do is recognize that he is Lord. And if we want to be with Jesus then, If we want to be in the kingdom then, when he comes back, we need to enter his kingdom now. And that is only done through Jesus. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and he, after he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took a cup of wine and said, Drink this, all of you, for the forgiveness of sins. For this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you. Whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Just a minute, I'm going to pray. There will be people up front. You can come forward, take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and uh, either take communion on your way back to your seat or or back at your seat. Let's pray together.